and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. And this is the podcast where here in Season 3 we take all of the internet's wrestling content, we dump it in the randomizer, fire it up, it picks us a show to watch at random. And here it takes us back to the Clash of the Champions again, but this time Clash of the Champions 27, which... Uh, is season seven, episode two? If you're watching on <laughs> on the cock on Peacock, uh, here's uh, this is this is an era an era of WCW where uh, uh, things were changing. Adam, the the uh... oh yes, <laughs> this is an era of WCW that you did not experience in real time. I quite painfully did. We've talked about it before. I think on this podcast a little bit, definitely off air how weird of a time period this was to be a WCW fan, particularly if you grew up not a fan of the WWF and you grew up as a kid hating Hulk Hogan during the Hulkamania era, as I did. Uh, the pay-per-view just before this Clash of the Champions that we're about to discuss was Spring Stampede 1994, which I was in attendance for. Uh, first row way up in the balcony at the dump that is the All-State Arena, uh, formerly known as the Rosemont Horizon. And that was an awesome show. It had the great Muda versus stunning Steve Austin. Uh, I believe a really good uh, Flying Brian, uh, Lord Steven Regal match. Uh, the main event, Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat for the world heavyweight title. Uh, we had a, a crazy street fight with Cactus Jack and Max Payne against the Nasty Boys. But there was a feeling in the air. And I remember as a 13-year-old kid, uh, actually just about to turn 13, Knowing what was to come, uh, you know, it was talked about on the broadcast, which obviously I didn't see because I was there, but it was talked about on the broadcast and in the week or so leading up to it, that Hulk Hogan was on his way to WCW. And, and as a kid who lived and died WCW and before that NWA, Jim Crockett promotions, you know, the whole deal, like at that show, as exciting as it was, it felt like a bit of a funeral of the WCW and NWA that I grew up watching. And here, this Clash of the Champions that we're about to discuss, this is the first major event in WCW of the Hulk Hogan era. The show took place June 23rd, 1994, Charleston, South Carolina. Now, this was, like you mentioned, going to be the first Hogan appearance uh, at a, at an actual event, they had in done an a, arena. Yeah, they yeah, had they... done like a, a parade through Disney oh, for his God, arrival. Yes. The ticker tape parade at Disney MGM Studios, which looked so fake. It, it, it was about as legit of a parade as Pasta Mania was a legit Italian restaurant. So this show drew four thousand forty four paid, a forty two thousand dollar gate, which are good figures compared with previous clashes and even some recent pay-per-views at that time in 1994, there was 6,700 fans in total with papering and, and comp tickets. Uh, so about twenty five, about 2,700 free tickets. Uh, wow, that's, that's one of the higher percentages of, of comps, of freebies, of papered tickets, I think, for any show that we've talked about here on the podcast. Now... Uh, WCW was known for having some production errors, and uh, they continued having production errors by airing the Control Center segment that was scheduled to run 
June 26th, two days after this show, on Main Event. That show, they accidentally aired the Control Center segment one week early. So the Control Center segment that recapped the show that had not yet happened? Correct. It gave away all of the results from this oh. show. Wow. Good Whoops. thing I didn't see Main Event. That was probably the uh, the show that I saw the least. It aired here in Chicago Sundays at 5.05. And usually as a family, we'd go out to dinner, go to a mall or something. So I didn't get a chance to see that very often. So this show was not spoiled for me. But yeah, as much as I love uh, WCW 92-93, uh, early 94 prior to this yes uh production errors uh <laughs> were the norm this is also when we're getting around the time period where they would be doing the uh, the marathon tapings for worldwide at disney mgm studios uh, the aforementioned park at disney world and they would do these tapings that were meant to cover several months worth of tv and and at least at one of these tapings they sent out wrestlers with championship belts who had not yet won the titles. Uh, you know, the, the observers and torches and everyone else of the world got that information. They got reports from those shows and the next several months of WCW storylines were effectively spoiled immediately. This clash of the champions show drew a 3.0 rating, the company's fourth lowest rated clash ever. However, the good news was that the Flair Sting match on this show peaked at a 4.2 rating. So about two and a half times as many viewers saw that match as saw the opening tag match. So, so you're telling me that WCW viewers tuning into a Clash of the Champions event on TBS were excited to watch Ric Flair versus Sting. I'm shocked. That was the thing they were excited for, yes. Yes. <laughs> And the show starts with a video package telling us that we're going to get a unification match. The WCW International World Champion versus the WCW World Heavyweight Champion to unite yes. these titles. This uh, this whole uh, separate titles thing was uh, absolutely infuriating as a uh, someone not paying attention. Uh, to oh, just it was crazy popping it, in, like <laughs> to, to just like grab a, a wrestling magazine, uh, while going through the aisles of uh, of the grocery store, uh, yeah. still just popping in. Hey, what's going on in wrestling? Uh, this the, the international world champion got the big gold belt and yeah. the WCW world heavyweight title. While I do want to talk about that belt. It's, it's a nice-looking championship. It is a nice-looking championship. It's the belt, the physical title belt that was created when Ric Flair took the big gold belt to the WWF when he left in 1991. And then in 1992, in the summer of 1992, the NWA World Heavyweight Championship was revived uh, and contested for as part of the G1 tournament in New Japan with WCW participation in the summer of 1992. That whole relationship between what was left of the NWA and WCW fell apart, though. Uh, they lost the rights to be able to call it the NWA World Heavyweight title. And so it became the WCW International World title. Uh, but it was still the gold belt. It, it sort of meandered around for a brief period of time in WCW. And then here, uh, yes, we're told it's title versus title. It's pretty funny because later on, Bobby Heenan, like he's doing everything he can to sell this match. 
he's talking about like this means there will only be one true world champion in wrestling. He says he's waited his entire life for this <laughs> moment. So while I give him credit for uh, for giving the hard sell, it, it it felt ridiculous as a 13 year old back in 1994. In hindsight, it feels even more ridiculous now. Yeah, you mentioned our announced team is Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and Mean Gene welcoming us. And yeah, they tell us that it's the biggest night in WCW history. Uh, I, I'm shocked that Tony Schiavone would tell us that, by the yes. way. <laughs> un, an unimpeachable source when it comes to biggest nights in the history of our sport. Uh, and we love Tony Schiavone, but it is what it is. Uh, also, we should note that Yes, it's Tony, Gene Okerlund uh, doing interviews, Bobby Heenan on color commentary, and then Tony Schiavone, Tony Schiavone just casually lets us know that later on, Jesse Ventura will be on the broadcast as well, which I had forgotten that there was a bit of a overlap between when Bobby Heenan came into WCW and uh, Jesse Ventura still being there. Well, yeah, Jesse, I think, was the mayor of a town in Minnesota at this point. Yeah. And so, yeah, he wasn't wasn't around a ton. But, uh, yeah, we'll we'll pop in for, for a match later. We'll, we'll get there. But uh, the big story, uh, in addition uh, to Hulk Hogan's appearance, a title unification match, is uh, who will be Sensational Sherry's man at the end of the show? Well, the best part of it, though, is, yes, Sensational Sherry. They can't, in theory, call her that on this show as she's uh, coming into WCW. So at multiple times, at various times throughout the show, she will be referred to as Sensational Sherry. She's also referred to interchangeably as Sensuous Sherry and Sensual Sherry. Sensual, Sensuous, and Sensational. Tony Schiavone, in particular, cannot decide throughout the show whether she is Sensual Sherry or Sensuous Sherry. Heenan thinks that Sherry's going to pick Hogan as her man, which I found funny. <laughs> yeah, it's classic Bobby Heenan. And who he, at one point later on, Bobby Heenan is convinced, or maybe it's uh, Jesse Ventura is convinced that uh, Sherry is going to pick Tony Schiavone. Tony Schiavone, yeah. That's a, uh, so the show opens with the WCW World Tag Team Championship. We're told this match is going to have two referees and. This does not play into the match whatsoever. No. Um, Due to the uncontrollable nature of the competitors, two referees have been assigned. I mean, I guess it does play into the match in that it never gets as out of hand as all the other matches that that really around this time period, it was the Nasty Boys against Cactus and Sullivan or the Nasty Boys against Cactus and Max Payne. Those matches were crazy, whereas this was somewhat more tame, and I guess we'll, we'll put it to there being two WCW officials there. Yeah, the challengers you mentioned are the Nasty Boys, the tag team champions, Kevin Sullivan and Cactus Jack with Babyface Kevin Sullivan. Yes, I I make a note here that, oh, wait a second. (laughs) The babyfaces are Cactus and Sullivan. Uh, Kevin Sullivan in particular is weird as a babyface. Cactus, while we hadn't seen it much at that point, by now we've all seen him so many times in that role that it isn't weird. But seeing Kevin Sullivan in WCW as a face uh, doing hot tags is quite the deal. Yeah. And, and one more notch in the belt of cactus Jack of Mick Foley appearances on this podcast. Yes. Quietly. Um, one of the front runners of uh, most appearances on this podcast. Yes. Right up there with Gene Ligon. <laughs> so we've got, uh, we've got sags and cactus starting. They're trading big shots and it breaks down to a four way immediately. Yeah, this match, the majority of it, is completely uncooperative, but 
that's totally okay for what this is. And we'll get through it. This isn't a great match. No. But when I'm watching Brian Nobbs, Jerry Sags, Kevin Sullivan, and Cactus Jack fighting each other, I don't need it to be clean or smooth. It should be rough around the edges, and it is definitely that. No, but watching the double team clotheslines by the babyface Cactus and Sullivan was hilarious. <laughs> yes. Clasping hands and, and hitting clotheslines on everything that moves, Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan. Yeah, so uh, the big, you know, the big spot here is where, uh, you know, it, it's basically all Cactus and Sullivan here. Um, uh, the the nasties end up cutting off Sullivan, getting the heat on him for a while. Well, before that, though, relatively early on into this, how about the Kevin Sullivan rocket launcher slash press slam out of the corner of his partner Cactus Jack into the Nasty Boys? It, this is, I don't know that I've actually ever seen that spot. You've seen a rocket launcher, but not where it's like a somersaulting press yeah, slam he, motion. He's, yeah, he slammed Cactus off the top onto the Nasty Boys. Yeah, it was yeah. as if Cactus Jack was Ric Flair going to the top. It yes. was as if Kevin Sullivan was Ric Flair's opponent slamming Ric Flair off the top. But they were partners, and he was being slammed into the opponents. It was something else. So Cactus is in. He's beating up both the Nasty Boys. He clotheslines himself and knobs over the top to the floor. Always he, a great Cactus Jack spot, particularly when he doesn't lose an ear on it. He low bridges the top rope, so Sags tumbles out to the floor as well. Cactus is on the apron. He jumps off of the bottom rope. So he gets a bouncing start here on the bottom <laughs> rope. This is Terry Funk style for sure. <laughs> and he jumps backward with like an elbow onto the nasties, but they move and Cactus falls backward, hitting the back of his head on the guardrail, crashing to the floor and nobody hits the ground harder than Cactus. I screamed. This was horrifying. No, yeah, this was, it was not quite the nasty plunge that he took against Mill Mascaris, uh, and I believe his first clash of the champions appearance, but this was terrifying in its own right. Like you said, hitting the back of his head on the guardrail hard. Um, this was Cactus Jack still trying to prove to everybody that he belonged. And yeah, this was terrifying. Belly to back suplex on the floor on Cactus some more. <laughs> yeah. The fact that that, that you say that so casually just tells us how, <laughs> terrifying that previous spot was that this isn't the thing that made you shriek in terror no. a back suplex on the floor uh, the crowd is really into this even though it's not particularly good we should note that like this is not good the, no the nasty boys are terrible here as they're want to be quite often kevin sullivan is not good in the babyface role like the only thing he does is just he does punches and then he does irish whips into running punches that's all he has Sullivan and Nobbs are fighting on the outside. Sags is fighting with Dave Sullivan on the outside, and Dave yeah. hits Sags with a crutch. We should mention, by the way, that Dave Sullivan, he was uh, he was going to be in the tag title match at Slamboree, but he suffered an injured shoulder at the hands of the Nasty Boys. He's out here. This is the beginnings of the Evad Sullivan character. Uh, they're still calling him Dave, but he's got Hulk rules written on his shirt backwards because in 1994 apparently they believed uh dyslexia was funny uh in, in wcw but uh and, and also at one point bobby heenan like he he you know jokingly can't remember the name of dave sullivan and he calls him evad i kind of wondering if bobby heenan created that character without realizing it in so after uh 
Sags gets hit with the crutch. Cactus hits him with the double arm DDT, gets the pin. Still the WCW Tag Team Champions, Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan. 10 minutes, 35 seconds. Not great. Crowd was into it. It was fun to see Cactus do Cactus things. Not a whole lot else really to to write home about in this, other than the fact that when Kevin Sullivan got thrown into the rail uh, early in the match, Tony Schiavone called it the iron safety rail, <laughs> which I don't think I've ever heard the uh, the guardrail, the steel barricade. Iron. It's uh, iron. <laughs> I've never heard it referred to as iron. I, uh, Kevin Kelly always calls it the fence, but I've never heard it referred to as iron. Maybe it actually is. Um, in any event, yeah, we immediately go away from this scene to Gene Okerlund, where he tells us that the winners of each match will be on the hotline. Then after the Clash of the Champions goes off the air, there will be a post-show on the WCW hotline. Who will be hosting the post-show? An amazing pair of men here in 1994. Gordon Soley and Teddy Long. <laughs> Which you could listen to, the post-show. For a dollar forty nine a minute. <laughs> yes, kids, get your parents' permission before calling, uh, so you can hear nineteen ninety four Gordon Sully and Teddy Long <laughs> talking about this Clash of the Champions. Uh, from there, Gene Okerlund introduces us to Sting. Sting comes out, and this is several years, obviously, before we get Crow Sting, but it's kind of a cool look in that it is full on Surfer Sting, blonde spiked hair, but he has black and white face paint in the surfer sting style uh this feels like a little bit of a hybrid yeah very cool look for sting here uh a, a classic short sting promo uh, and he refers to something that we never find out about on this show though which is always frustrating popping in he says something happened last week and he thinks rick flair is behind it yeah we get no reference to that and we get uh we get sting uh, just being popular. People just, just want to hear popular. them woo and, and, and come out and people, people love themselves some sting. Exactly. It, there's not much of this promo, but he is so charismatic, so enthusiastic and so loved by the WCW faithful that it doesn't matter that he didn't say anything. They were happy to see sting. The next thing that oh, we God. see, however, talk about convoluted things. I had in... no idea. This was a thing. This was the really? first time I've ever seen this. Yes. Oh my God. I had wow, no yeah, idea. I... I experienced this in real time. Uh, I believe he actually, there was a character between when Ray Traylor was called the boss in WCW, where he just was the big boss, man, <laughs> but they called him the boss. He wore the exact same stuff. Everything was exactly the same. He had a brief time or it was like the man with no name or something. He was very, very brief time. And then we started seeing vignettes of Ray Traylor in New York city with a bunch of guys in berets uh, training to become a guardian angel. And apparently this video feature that we have, apparently the guardian angels, which I was vaguely familiar with as a child, but looking back in 2022, as we record this, like the guardian angels, like they weren't actual police officers, but they like terrorized neighborhoods and oh, no. said they were going to make things better. I don't know. It's just like they're saying they're going to make things better, but then they're just like throwing dozens of people up against walls. <laughs> we get ominous footage of marijuana. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is so weird. And then we get like the guardian angel leader guy say that this is we're living in the day and age of dope smoking, oozy toting psychopaths. 
And like I ranked down to like what? These are just guys in berets that go around and threaten people. Like you think somebody is doing something bad, so you threaten them and throw them against the wall, and you say you're a guardian angel. Like I don't under, I don't get this at all. Someone will smarten us up. Well, yeah, they, uh, the the this, this feels the real like- guardian angels are were were you know they were they, they were to uh, you know be be a presence in bad neighborhoods so that people Quote, would unquote, feel safer. Yes, yeah. But this uh, all has there's a lot of undertones, overtones, whatever oh, you want to yeah. say. This whole thing is very strange. Uh, but again, I, yeah, I don't know. Through. I don't know what, what what deal they worked out here with the guardian angels to get uh, Ray Trailer in full gear, full, like yes. a t shirt, the beret, the whole nine yards, and he comes out, and his name is the guardian angel. Yeah, not like Ray Trailer, the guardian angel. No, it's he is the guardian angel. It would be as if he came out and called himself the police officer. In the WWF, he he is the guardian angel. Like it's funny just thinking about it. Like the guardian angels are one of those things, like acid rain and quicksand that you remember <laughs> as a child, but they don't really make as much sense as an adult. Like you, you couldn't really fully figure it out as a kid, and you still haven't really done the research to figure it out now, I guess. But this uh, this video package kind of needs to be seen to be believed in so many different ways. Uh, Ray Trailer, as you said, the guardian angel is introduced. He comes out. The announcers are going crazy about this, by the way. Tony Schiavone in particular is he is he's got his forced enthusiasm working. It's pegging the meter at about 12 out of 10 here. Uh, he's in a beret. He's got his red leather jacket. And who is his opponent? It's a man I have referenced several times on this show. <laughs> yes, Jeremy, you have. you have never seen this version of this man. It is the future Phineas I. Godwin, the future pig. It is Tex Slazinger, a member of the very famous duo, as Tony Schiavone called it, and an undercard tag team that was after my own heart in the early 90s in WCW, Tex and Shanghai, that being Tex Slazinger and Shanghai Pierce, who is a masked uh, version of the guy that would go on to be Henry Godwin. Yeah, so Tex Slazinger here, who, yeah, he'd also be the future Midian. Uh, in addition the future to future naked Midian, yes. who you can hear us talk about his run-in uh, the uh, after the Samoa Joe uh, William Regal match. That's in the uh, Patreon. No, one the, yeah, one of the early episodes, I believe the second or third episode of the bonus content uh, Patreon, uh, Apple Podcast bonus, or wherever those uh, those shows live now. If you're listening to this later. So this match is nothing. A punch, kick, elbow by Tex, and that means three strikes and you're out. Yes, that is the gimmick now for the guardian angel that if you hit him three times, it's three strikes and you're out, apparently like on the streets with the guardian angels. That is the implication here. Uh, He guardians up. He angels up, I guess. Uh, He hits a big punch, bombs away over the ropes. The classic big boss man sliding under the ropes hits the uppercut. He then hits the boss man slam. He does. For the finish, Tony Schiavone, a man who had years of pro wrestling experience by this point, inexplicably calls the boss man slam, quote, the spike pile driver, unquote. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? I, I, we have given a lot of announcers, <laughs> some of them named, some unnamed on those pro wrestling plus or pro wrestling this week shows where you don't know who every play by play guy is because you're just dipping in. I don't know that any of those terrible guys had a worse call here than 
uh, Tony with the spike pile driver for the boss man. We love Tony Schiavone. Oh my God. He's but we will crazy. call it out when he <laughs> we have to. Just, something I egregious mean, like that. One minute, 44 seconds for this. If we're match. willing to risk losing truth, truth Martini as a listener, we're willing to lose, uh, risk losing Tony Schiavone as a listener. Uh, as sad as that would be, uh, you know, to to no, he sure would he would want us to up. call him out on his mistakes. That's, I'd like he, to think he's that. A good, yeah, he's good that way. Um, I'd like to think that we we go from this scene to Hulk Hogan's motorcade. Oh, he police escorts Hogan's limo. There, he's he's literally got a full fledged motorcade. Heenan says, "I saw the news the other day." <laughs> Talking about the O.J. Simpson chase uh, and yeah, saying that saw the... this on the news the other day, yeah. And so yeah, and that, we, that was we funny. Also get, we got a recap of what led Hulk Hogan and WCW as we're la- waiting for this uh, motorcade to make it to the building. Apparently, Bobby Heenan confronted Hulk Hogan on the set of Thunder in Paradise to inquire about the rumors of him joining WCW, and then. We learn that the reason Hulk Hogan joined WCW is because fans called the hotline and voted for him to do so. Jimmy Hart and Hulk Hogan arrive. They come to out immediate booze. We should mention they you come out hear- of the limo and they are booed. This is crazy. <laughs> this is his first appearance on a WCW show. Booze. It's in what? Charleston, do you say Charleston or Columbia, South Carolina? Charleston, South Carolina. This is not Hulk Hogan country. And yes, he'll be cheered later on to an extent, but you would think, and granted, they they mostly ran in the Southeast during this time period, but you would think if you were going to book Hulk Hogan's first appearance, you would have done it somewhere that it was not deep in the heart of NWA WCW country. Jesse Ventura at this point joins Tony on commentary. I'm disappointed by Jesse's uh, choice of attire. He's we've we've talked about before, whether it be on the Coliseum home videotapes or uh, other WWF he's shows. Good for or, a fashion corner every time. Oh, he is he's like the whole fashion house here. <laughs> the only thing notable is that he wears sunglasses the entire time. Otherwise, uh, he's just Jesse Ventura in the exact same tux that uh, Tony Schiavone is in. WCW. And we should mention also Bobby Heenan is gone. Bobby Heenan. At the end of the Hogan motorcade segment, as they're going to commercial, Bobby says, I can't take this anymore. I'm out of here. And <laughs> true to form, he, that's the case. We come back and Bobby is nowhere to be found. Jesse now is with Tony Schiavone. WCW World Television Championship. The challenger, Lord Steven Regal, weighing 18 stone, which I always <laughs> yes. love, uh, yes. accompanied by Sir William his opponent, the television champion, the living legend, Larry Zabisco. Babyface Larry Zabisco. And let's talk for a moment about these introductions because first we have Lord Steven Regal coming out. He is wearing a George Washington level powdered wig. You mentioned Sir William, his manager, who is superstar Bill Dundee as his manager. And then Larry Zabisco comes out. And Gary Michael Capetta gives him this long introduction talking about that he's wrestled 5,000 matches. He's a former world champion. And this is where it dawns on me that, oh my God, there is something more strange on this show than babyface Kevin Sullivan. It is babyface world television champion Larry Zabisco. 
So Steve Regal at this point is legit working on torn ligaments in his foot. Jesus. So keep that in mind as this match goes. Regal. He's also going to wrestle in the wig. (laughs) He does for, for quite a while. Uh, Regal starts uh, by just, Beating the crap out of Zabisco. Forearms, uppercuts. I loved everything about this. <laughs> yes, I also loved Tony Schiavone was great here recapping this feud, which apparently started when Larry Zabisco, who was working as a broadcaster, refused to interview Lord Steven Regal because he was, or, or no, it goes the other way. Sorry. Tony Schiavone refused to interview Lord Steven Regal because he was so disgusted by his actions. Uh, Larry Zabisco did the interview instead ended up getting into an altercation with Regal. Uh, They uh, traded the TV title. That's what brought us here. Super aggressive attack by Regal to start the match. We get a Western States Heritage title reference by Tony Schiavone. All caps in my notes. He references that Larry Zabisco was the last Western States Heritage champion and retired the belt. And I don't know about you. When I think Western States Heritage, I always think about the living legend Larry Zabisco. They trade shots in the middle. Larry catches him with a spin kick, throws Regal over the top onto the platform. The referee missed it, so no disqualification here. Yes, because we are still in the era of over-the-top rope disqualifications in WCW. I I was wondering at first, is this a loophole? Because uh, the ramp is not the floor. And so, ostensibly, if you get thrown over the top rope and land on the ramp, it should be just like landing on on the the apron. apron. That, That was not the case here. Uh, back inside, Zabisco counters a double underhook suplex attempt into a backdrop, still with the arms locked after the backdrop, and got a near fall out of that. Yes, that was a, it. Was a good near fall. It was also where I noticed that Randy Anderson had a really weird cadence as a referee, really fast, and then he always it would always be a tell if it wasn't going to be a three, because on the third count, if the guy was going to kick out, he would shift his weight to his one shoulder. And then he would basically use his hand to almost lift up the shoulder of the guy that was going to kick mm. out. It it always bothered me. I'd forgotten about it uh, until seeing it here. It ruined every match he ref for me. Zabisco hits a pile driver. Regal barely rolls his shoulder up. Uh, Neckbreaker gets a two count for Larry. Regal's back up in a fighting stance. His dander is up. Yeah, Regal looks away for a second, and Zabisco jumps him. Regal fights back, and we got we got some big shots to the face uh, of Larry, and while he's down, and this was uh, this was kind of a this this is a fight feel here. Yeah, Regal was great as he usually is. Uh, awesome punches and palm strikes from it from that reverse chin lock position. Uh, I also <laughs> Tony Schiavone said that Larry Zabisco is well schooled in the martial arts. And then he just says, he's a black belt. Doesn't tell us what martial arts he's a black belt in. He is just a black belt in the martial arts. Larry has Regal in the body scissors. And you've never seen someone sell body scissors better than William Regal or (laughs) Stephen Regal here. It was also hilarious because watching this through modern eyes uh, in a world where the UFC and MMA exist, seeing a guy sell the guard as though it is a painful submission. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> hold, was one of the strangest things uh, in, in, again, in 2022, as we record this, that you could ever, uh, you could ever watch. Regal did headbutt his way free, jumping double knees. Uh, 
Zabisco grabs him in a bear hug position and then just slams him down, puts on a Boston crab, and tries to. Yeah, Sir William from the outside gives a push, and Regal rolls through, lands on top of him, grabs the top rope, and gets the pin. New TV champion, Lord Steven Regal. Now, the reviews of this match were very poor, but on my totally fine on my scale of Zabisco matches that we've seen at this point on this podcast. Uh, this was this was fine to great uh, yeah. compared to some of the horrible matches we've seen. I, I thought this was totally fine, but man, people did not like this match. Nine minutes, twenty five seconds. Yeah, I think part of it too is when you think about the other guys that uh, Regal, when he had been in the TV title scene over the the last you know year or so prior to this, he was wrestling Ricky Steamboat, Flying Brian Pillman. So this was you know a downgrade of a TV title match, but. To your point, uh, while this was no Larry Zabisco versus Mr. Saito from New Japan, this is far better than most of the Zabisco matches that we saw. And I think in a weird way, it's because as a babyface, he really wasn't on offense much. And so we did not have that just horrendously boring, stalling Zabisco heel, boring offense. We had more of just uh, a, a, a regal, regal beatings. Yeah. Yeah. Regal just palm strikes and punches and nasty headbutts of the stomach and just cool little things. So this was, this was totally fine by my estimation. Regal will be on option two of the hotline. Dustin Rhodes and Arn Anderson join Mean Gene for a promo. Dustin Rhodes here looks like if an Aquafresh toothpaste bottle had become a cowboy. At the big upcoming bash at the beach, Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck and Arn Anderson, myself of the world, await your answer. My answer comes to Dustin Rhodes with a couple of conditions. If you want me to be a partner to you, Dustin Rhodes, it's not going to be the Arn Anderson you see standing here today. It's going to be the Arn Anderson that these people have demanded over the last year. The old Arn Anderson, the one that's not politically correct, the one that will smack his granny in the mouth for 50 cents, the one that will start a fight in the parking lot and bring it in the building. Now, if I take this match on these conditions, we may get hurt real bad, but I expect that. We may get fined a lot of money. We may get hurt permanent. But if I take this match, Dustin Rhodes, under these conditions, understand one thing. We're turning the hurting around, and we're putting it on them. My answer is, yeah, I'll be glad to be a part That's what it's all about, Gene. This is a great start of a new beginning. The enforcer, the natural Dustin Rhodes, the whole world stands behind us. As you heard in that clip, Arn will be the tag team partner of Dustin Rhodes. WCW United States Championship. I am hyped. I, I just need to let you know, we haven't had a whole lot of opportunities to talk about stunning Steve Austin, the <laughs> version of Steve Austin uh, in WCW. This is not revisionist history. Ask anyone who knew me back then. Ask my dad, who I went to all those WCW shows in 92 and 93 with. Um, stunning Steve Austin was my favorite wrestler in the world at this time. I loved this version of Steve Austin. Uh, and so getting a chance to see him here against Johnny B. Bad for the U.S. title, I'm hyped. I'm a little bit disappointed, though, because when the uh, when the randomizer pulled 
uh, a, a class of the champions from 1994. I got excited because I remember that um, I think it was either the, it probably was the class right after bash at the beach where Ricky Steamboat and Steve Austin had a great U S title match at bash at the beach 94, and then had a great rematch of the month after um, I was hoping that was this show, but as we got to it, no, it is in fact, Steve Austin and the future wild man, Mark Miro. Let's see if our theory that Mark Miro was much better and much more charismatic as Johnny B. Bad. Let's see if that holds true. <laughs> yeah. So these two start, we've got bad blasters from Johnny B. Bad as he comes out. So there's going to be have... confetti out there for the rest of the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, Bobby Heenan is disgusted by, by the way, he mentions earlier how much he hates the graffiti that Johnny B. Bad left around ringside. Uh, but yes, Johnny B. Bad comes out to his slam jam music, uh, his song from the slam jam record, which I had on cassette tape. Uh, he has a robe that says, let's not sit down, Charleston. Let's get down. And I note immediately as he's walking his way down the ring or down the ramp with the bad blaster, yelling to the camera, that my God, this man has so much more charisma and just amazing life force than he did. Like as wild man, Mark Miro, he just seemed like a broken man here. He is one of the most charismatic men you've ever seen in your life. Like you transport this Johnny B bad into modern wrestling and he would leap off the television screen. Yeah. So, uh, you've got Austin coming out without Colonel Parker. And it's noted that they've they're going separate ways, uh, but then the next Saturday night uh, television show, uh, he's right back with Colonel Parker again. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, little miscue. He did, he did thankfully have uh, his awesome WCW entrance music, which I was hoping would not be dubbed over. No, this it is good. Not. Yeah, it was great. It was great. It was the same music he would use also with the Hollywood Blondes, uh, his team with Brian Pillman. Uh, it brought back memories. I had not heard that music in ages. I all of a sudden was back to being 13 years old and, uh, and just being a big fan of sending Steve Austin. Uh, we should note that unlike the horrible version of the WCW TV title that was in the previous match, uh, very disappointing that it was that version and not the great one that we talked about on last week's show. If you're listening in linear fashion here, we have the best design of the United States championship that ever existed. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite designs. And Austin's in control early. He slaps bad before the bell. He's uh, uh, in control, throwing bad outside. Um, and then you've got uh, back inside, bad gets control, working an arm, drop kick. Austin goes over the top, back to the outside. Austin's selling is so great. It's so close to being over the line to comedic but it's just below that. It doesn't get there. Uh, highly entertaining. I also love how his trunks just say in like stencil type writing on the back, U.S. champ. I love that it said U.S. champ on his tights. <laughs> we should talk about the look for Steve Austin, by the way. He had the uh, short, closely cropped blonde hair buzzed on the sides. Uh, he was you know, balding on top, but he sort of had it cut to where you couldn't really see it. It was just starting to grow the goatee out, and he's... He's in great shape. He's big and he can move. If you've never seen WCW era Steve Austin, you've only seen him as stunning Steve uh, and you're used to the giant knee braces and, you know, just you know, not necessarily a, a super fast level of movement. It would be jarring to see him here um, 
is it within a couple of minutes of watching this, I just, I wrote down in my notes, it was exactly what I thought as a 13 year old. They are insane to not be building the company around this guy. As a kid, I thought Steve Austin, it's a no brainer. He's the heir apparent to Ric Flair. And I think most people watching the company felt that way at the time. Oh, you, you couldn't watch this and not think that he's, he's the next guy. Like, yeah, there, there's no reason not to strap a rocket to him. He was, he was the guy he's, uh, super aggressive. He's charismatic. Everything he's doing looks good, and it, it, he's a star, and and it's easy to see. And still, so early on in his career, he was only what like four or five years into his career at this point, as far as being a full time wrestler. Well, I mean, imagine, uh, he, I mean, his performance in the War Games alone as yeah. a uh, you know that early in his career, just absolutely. Well, even going talent. back to that that USWA episode that we reviewed. Sure. Uh, yeah. In that street fight. And he was very green, but he showed elements of what he would be later. And then, yeah, he was incredible in that, uh, that war games in 1992 and had only honed his craft and refined his game even more here in 1994. Uh, it's also notable as we go through this match that Johnny B. Bad, um, I actually thought he was better than he got credit for in WCW and he had some great performances. Um, Particularly, I think maybe even a year later, uh, you know, some of the TV title matches that he had with Diamond Dallas Page. Um, I remember one, I think, on a World War III pay-per-view that was just off the charts great for what it was. Uh, but here, he, some things he does look great, but he's getting lost quite a bit. And you can see Austin really holding this match together and, and calling it and sort of trying to keep... Uh, keep bad from, from losing his place there's plenty of times where he grabs him and gets in yes. real close and yeah you can grab the side headlock <laughs> yeah. and you can grab the grabs him by the hair and pulls him in uh for yeah. an eye gouge and he's telling him something yeah. yeah it's uh so at this point austin's ramming him face first into the mat we get arrogant covers by austin <laughs> the, the best i think it's around this time period where austin he hits that falling elbow drop he grabs johnny b bad's hand uh looks toward the camera, mocks Johnny B. Bad, waves high to the crowd, and then says like in like a Johnny B. Bad voice, I'm with the U.S. champ. <laughs> Bad gets a desperation drop kick, inverted atomic drop, and flying head scissors. He follows it up with some body shots, and Bad hits a DDT. He goes to the top rope, gets caught by Austin, and gets crotched on the top turnbuckle. What, what happens next is one of my favorite spots of any show we've reviewed on this podcast. And if it had been the finish, it would have been my favorite finish ever in three seasons of this <laughs> I, show. I knew you were going to be so thrilled when this happened. Uh, if you are a long-time <laughs> listener, I'll take this one. Yes. If you are a long-time listener of this podcast, you know that I hate, I despise the power of a thousand burning suns, the top rope sunset flip, where you basically tape take a flip bump off the top rope at full force. This somehow does not hurt you and allows you to be able to pin your opponent as you roll through here. Johnny B bad goes for the top rope sunset flip and Steve Austin being my favorite wrestler in 1994 knew what was up moves out of the way. And Johnny B bad takes as described a massive flip back bump in the middle of the ring at full force is not the finish though. Still. No, he gets two. I, I, I'm like, oh, I bet I, Adam bought that as a finish. I am here <laughs> in modern times. I was, I was sitting on my couch. I stood up as that unfolded 
and I was upset. I threw my mostly empty water bottle down as Johnny B. Bad kicked out. But man, still, that made me very happy. So Austin takes uh, some brass knuckles, uh, something uh, for his knuckles out of his out of his uh, tights. A he, knuckle duster, as it would often be in WCW. Yeah, he uh, uh, he hits a body shot and rolls him up in a small package, gets the pin. Still the U.S. champion is Steve Austin. And then referee Randy Anderson runs in, tells well, the actual referee about it. Austin, he hits bad with the brass knuckles, gets the win. He does not put the knuckles back in his tights. He hides them quickly under his armpit so the referee doesn't see it. The first referee, the initial referee, uh, you know, he declares Steve Austin the winner. He raises his arm, the arm that does not have the brass knuckles. Uh, and so everything is fine. Then here comes Randy Anderson, uh, another WCW official, as we mentioned earlier. He saw what happened. Uh, he is arguing. He picks up the arm of Steve Austin and the knuckle dusters fall out. He drops the weapon. Bad then rolls up Austin and and referee Randy Anderson counts a pin. So the two referees argue about it. Uh, 10 minutes and 25 seconds was this match. Uh, There's controversy. They never tell us what happened here. Bad has the title belt in his hands. Uh, We don't get a definitive answer. On the next WCW Saturday night, they did confirm that Austin was still the champion. Yes, I was going to say it must have resolved itself pretty quickly because Austin then defended at Bash of the Beach against Ricky Steamboat, as I had mentioned. Um, so yeah, it was kind of ridiculous that this was not uh, this was not referenced at all on the rest of the show. But Commissioner Nick Bockwinkle was in the house and yes. he did not make a ruling on this one. He was yeah. otherwise disposed, as we'll see later. And honestly, this whole show. Uh, this whole show was about Hulk Hogan. Everything else was window dressing and was treated as such. Unfortunately. Um, and along those lines, here comes Hulk Hogan with his new American made music. Uh, he's the first and only man so far in this show to get fireworks. And man, as he comes out, he feels so out of place in early 1994, mid 1994 WCW. Uh, this just feels really, really strange. I mean, honestly, even Gene, feels really out of place uh, but hogan it's just odd he gets a huge ovation but yes it includes plenty of booze like oh th- yeah this was uh, you know this this so it's crowd, about 70 30 but yeah. that's that's notable it absolutely is and i don't think that's the reaction that they were expecting uh no. the the but higher they should have WCW. they should have and i'll reference if you are a subscriber to our bonus content on our uh, Patreon feed or the bonus section of Apple Podcasts and you're listening in linear fashion, you will have heard us very recently talk about an episode of Saturday Night's Main Event from a couple years prior where they had to dub in booze uh, (laughs) over the cheers that Sid Vicious slash Sid Justice got for eliminating Hulk Hogan at the Royal Rumble in 1992. And that was in the WWF. So you would have to think that WCW would have had an inkling at least that Hulk Hogan might not have been as popular there as he would have been in the heyday of the WWF. He cuts a promo with mean gene talks about being a five-time champ. He talks about body slamming Andre, the giant 
but never he before. Said the greatest day of his life. Yes, this is the greatest day of his life. I hope in, his children and wife were not listening. Uh, in Charleston, South Carolina for Hulkamania, uh, the greatest day of his life. He said he needed to clean up his legacy as trying to be the greatest of all time. Uh, whoever wins the match tonight, he's got his sights set on them. And then Flair cuts a promo on the video screen. Yeah, the uh, video wall, which is ahead of WWF uh, in terms of having a video wall, if my timeline is correct here. The thing I note, other than it's you know Flair ranting and raving, is that the whole idea of there being a unification match later on in this show with Sting and Hogan is it feels like such an afterthought because all they're doing is setting up Hogan and flair for bash at the beach. Like they're basically coming out and saying it. And, but we know that the main event for bash at the beach is determined by who wins sting versus, uh, uh, who wins sting versus flair. I should say I said sting versus Hogan, I think a second ago. Um, it just, it was really, really weird. I felt bad for sting here because again, he just felt like such an afterthought on this show for something that when you're calling it title versus title unification, and it's, uh, you know, the greatest feud in terms of the WCW era of this promotion. And it just feels like an afterthought. Flair says, grab a ringside seat and you'll see why I'm the greatest of all time. We should also mention that it's ridiculous again here in 1994 that they are talking like Hulk Hogan is saying he's never wrestled Ric Flair yet again. If you go back to that clash of the champions that we just reviewed on the Patreon, on the bonus content, they wrestled each other in a tag team match. Yeah, they did not. They they had never wrestled on a pay-per-view at this point. Uh, So bash would be the first pay-per-view for 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 them but uh yeah pretending but, like they've never wrestled before is completely insane well it's insane because everyone saw them wrestle each other in a tag team match on national television a couple of years earlier and they did house show matches main eventing in pretty much every major metropolitan area in the united states at that time period so if you were a fan you had seen it but uh, i guess it was just strange because wcw wasn't quite as into ignoring wrestling history as the WWF was at this time. So to see them do that here. uh, And I remember at the time as well as a kid, like it felt jarring. Heenan's back. We still have no Sherry announcement yet. We get a weird video with Shaquille O'Neal and Hulk Hogan. (laughs) From Pasta Mania, it sure looks like. Shaq's got a Hulkster shirt and bandana on. And again, you can hear the boos for from people uh, watching this video. Shaq is also very skinny here. Oh yes, this was like rookie or uh, you know second year in the this league. Shaq straight here. out of LSU, yeah. first year, first year or two with the Orlando Magic. Shaq, which again, his involvement would be uh, would be tied into Bash at the Beach, which is in Orlando uh, at the arena where the Orlando Magic played. Uh, uh, Keel O'Neill was the star of the Orlando Magic and he was there I can't remember he wasn't the guest referee but he was like a ringside enforcer or timekeeper or something he was there Heenan tries to make a Bugs, uh, Muggsy Bogues joke who was the <laughs> shortest player in the NBA but he calls him Bugsy instead of Muggsy and just moves right along <laughs> yeah so the thing also here with Bobby Heenan I get very frustrated. It's not anything that he did in this match, but when we see this long shot after the introductions, which we'll get to that in a moment, but after the intros, we see, you can see Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan, Bobby Heenan sitting ringside. Who's next to Bobby Heenan? WCW commissioner, Nick Bockwinkle. 
Why does Nick Bockwinkle not have a headset? I want Bockwinkle and Heenan content on commentary here in this world. Missed opportunity. Missed Missed opportunity opportunity on several levels. Bockwinkle and Heenan, the history there. And then Nick Bockwinkle, one of the greatest world heavyweight champions ever. Let's get his, uh, his thoughts on this unification match. The unification match, WCW International World Champion Sting with the big gold belt against the WCW World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair with the WCW title on and the WCW Commissioner Nick Bockwinkle and ring announcer Michael Buffer are in the ring. He goes straight into the let's get ready to rumble. No crazy intros as he'd be known for later in WCW. This was straight no messing around intros for Michael Buffer. Yeah, this was a very boxing style intro. Like you said, usually you get you know a bit more uh, out there. Uh, like the time where he called Bret Hart, Bret the Hitman Clark. <laughs> uh, probably my favorite uh, Michael Buffer moment. Um, but yeah, we. Uh, this is where Bobby Heenan then says, "This is the the match he's waited all his life for. Only one world champion." And then. Rick Rude's WCW music hits, and I'm very confused because he had just broken his back in Japan and was stripped of the international world title, which led to all this. Uh, but no, it's not Rick Rude. It's sensational slash sensuous slash sensual Sherry. She comes out with a uh, sort of a black mask. She pulls this black mask away, and she has the same face paint as Sting. And the crowd that was going nuts for Sting during these introductions does not care one bit about Sherry coming out and revealing that she's with Sting. Nobody cares at all about this Sherry storyline. This is such a WCW crowd, and this is such a WWF storyline, complete with, again, Hulk Hogan lurking in the shadows of this whole thing. Sensational Sherry, who we've talked about before, great performer, but during this time period, Fans in Columbia, South Carolina of WCW could not have possibly cared less about this person uh, than they did here. And it just, it set the stage for what just felt like a distraction from what would have been and could have been, even with the convoluted nature of the international title, something that should have felt like a huge deal. And instead it just felt like a, a point on the, in the plot on the way to Hogan versus Flair with, uh, with sensational Sherry involvement, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it really felt like there was no stakes here because you felt like, how was Sting going to get screwed out of this match from the start? You couple that with the Hogan Flair promo earlier, and it just made it even more. The second it was revealed to be Sherry, I remember watching this. I remember thinking, yep, Flair is winning. Sherry's turning on Sting, and Flair is winning. There's no way this After that promo with the Hogan thing, like saying, Bash at the Beach main event's going to be Flair versus uh, Hogan for the title. Uh, And then you have this. This is just like, ugh. So that's kind of a letdown. Um, Although the good news is Sting and Flair just can't have a bad match. So Sting starts by shoving Flair down a few times. We're told uh, that Flair won his title. By beating Vader. Yeah, and Starcade 1993. And Sting won his title by beating Vader. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which, yeah. And Vader was not the international champion, but they did the whole deal where uh, Rick Rude, in a match for the, I think it was the international title at the time. I don't think it was still the NWA title. Uh, Sting and Rick Rude had wrestled, and Rick Rude had won, but on a... a crazy over the top rope dive by sting 
uh, Rude caught Sting, and this was at the Tokyo Dome where there's the elevated stage, and Rude landed hard back first, like where the stage dropped down with all the force and weight of Sting on him, and it destroyed his back. Rick Rude was not able to defend the title and would go on to never wrestle again. And so the story was that Nick Bockwinkle was going to give Sting the title. Sting said, no, I don't want to uh, don't want to take it. I want to fight for it. And so they made the match Sting versus, you know, his greatest rival during this time period and his toughest opponent, Vader. Uh, Sting defeated Vader, uh, got the title, and uh, that's what brought us here. Shivani does an awesome job here running down the history of Sting versus Flair. I thought he did a, just an absolutely tremendous job for, for a, a long history. He, he got in all the, all the high spots. Great. You great could tell story. he was very excited too. We talked earlier about, uh, you know, force enthusiasm for uh, the guardian angel here. <laughs> Tony Schiavone talking about the history of Sting versus Flair. That's in his, as much in its wheelhouse as it could possibly be. Uh, and yeah, the match gets going. The thing that to me, you talked about, you know, Sting versus Flair, it can't be bad. It never is. And this wasn't, but it's, <laughs> they just did particularly early the Sting Flair match, which there's no reason to change it. It works, but it was hip toss out of the corner, drop kick, press slam. It, it, they were hitting all the favorites. They're playing the hits. Yeah. The, the one thing out of the norm is uh flair rolling outside to regroup. And he's flexing at the camera. Yes. And Heenan points out that that's not Flair. That's Hogan getting into the head of Ric Flair. Bobby Heenan was great in this match. So good. He was like the Bobby Heenan announcer in uh, WWF character when Ric Flair was there and he wasn't fully Ric Flair's manager. managing he, from a distance. Yeah, he was exactly managing from a distance while Mr. Perfect was there ringside with Ric Flair. Um, but he was living and dying with every moment of a Ric Flair match uh, you know, on the call. And it was the same here. He was so frustrated with Flair uh, being out of his game. And, and uh, you know, he had a great line where he said that, you know, people always complained about me being a distraction and interfering when I was a manager. But it's clear right now that Hulk Hogan is more of a distraction to Ric Flair than I ever was to any of my men's opponents. A couple of press slams by Sting. Flair rolls outside. He does a flare flop on the floor. And then Flair's arguing with, with a fan, and he calls the referee out <laughs> to the so floor <laughs> to hold him back from attacking the fans. This was classic. Uh, classic Flair, just awesome. Yeah, he calls the ref out. At first, he thought he was calling the ref out to like kick the fan out, but instead, <laughs> he called the ref out just to hold him back. Uh, classic Ric Flair. And it's great, too, because as this is going on, Bobby Heenan is losing his mind because he's so upset about how, uh, how distracted Ric Flair is just great stuff. Flair hits his first chop and sting just fires up and he runs wild with clotheslines. Flair sends himself over the top rope to the floor to escape and regroup again. If Flair, uh, again, Bobby Heenan's great. He says that the anger is in Ric Flair's eyes, the anger and the hatred, but you just don't see that winning drive. Uh, Flair then he goes down the aisle way, like next to the ramp and Bobby Heenan says, Flair is halfway down the aisle talking to the ham and eggers of this world. He's not happy about it, Bobby. Back inside Flair goes to work, but another chop gets sting to just start flexing big Beal, a drop kick. He tries a second drop kick, but Flair holds the rope. So he misses 
Flair goes for the figure four, but Sting counters with a small package. Gets a two count. Flair goes outside again. And this is really where Heenan's in full Ric Flair manager mode on commentary. Yeah, this is where he talks about the whole, they blame me for distractions, but you know Hogan's more distracting than anybody. On that last near fall, by the way, the, uh, the roll-up out of the figure four attempt, both Bobby Heenan and Tony Schiavone were great reacting to this. They were going nuts thinking this could be the finish. Uh, and as much as you can criticize, uh, we talked about before, the convoluted nature of the international world title, uh, Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan did an incredible job at making this feel like the biggest match that you could possibly have and make it feel like everything was on the line and we are finally determining the one true world heavyweight champion. They were reacting to every near fall as though it was life and death. And the crowd's into it at this point. They're chanting for oh, both yeah. guys. They're into it. So just an extra slap to the things that were not over. Like this crowd <laughs> is is into the things it's into. They are. It's also funny though, and talk about bizarro world stuff here. We're in Columbia, South Carolina, and Sensational Sherry is leading the crowd in chance of Sting, Sting, <laughs> Sting. Uh, found something weirder than Larry Zabisco as a baby face or, uh, or Kevin Sullivan as a baby face. Babyface sensational Sherry managing Sting. Sting misses a stinger splash in the corner. Behind the ref's back, Flair throws Sting over the top to the floor. He had the ref check the time remaining in the match, and Always that's when he was that. able to throw uh, to throw him over the top. And and Tony points out that's a, uh, the referee has to check on that because it's TV time remaining. So uh, nobody knows how much time is left. To, you have to check that. So Flair then just beats on Sting outside. Sherry's encouraging Sting from the outside. Back inside, Flair with a rolling knee drop to the forehead of Sting. <laughs> this this is where we get the line of the night from Bobby Heenan. Uh, we see a shot of Sting laying on the mat. And then we see a shot of sensational Sherry at ringside. And Bobby Heenan just deadpan says, Sherry looks like she had an Oreo cookie and it exploded in her face. Because <laughs> she's wearing the black, the black and, and white, white makeup. Yeah. I lost it. This was Bobby <laughs> Heenan here in WCW. Like, there's not the chemistry that he had with Gorilla or with uh, even with Vince. And so the, the one liners aren't quite as plentiful. But when they land, they really land, and this one destroyed me. Flair's yelling at Sherry outside. Flair's able to get some huge chops in on Sting, and they're finally having an effect on him. Well, before that, though, Ric Flair screams, sit down and shut up at at Sherry as she's ringside. Tony Schiavone somehow hears this as Ric Flair saying, get out of sight, and then muses how he doesn't get it. Figure four is blocked by Sting. He shoves Flair off. Uh, Sting hits the... Sting gets... He's out of it, and he ends up hitting the ropes, and he goes chest first, and then gets caught with a back elbow by Flair, then put into a sleeper hold. Legitimately wobbled here. I didn't mind it. It it reminded me of like the selling that he would have in those wars against Vader, where he'd sort of be staggering around. You have that great glassy-eyed look like we talk about with Barry Windham sometimes. And then it would be, and it was here as well. It's heightened by the fact that the face paint is starting to like wear and chip off his face and dangle off of his eyebrow. It's like he, he looked uh, the worst for wear here for sure. Sting's able to fight out. He falls forward and Flair goes face first into the top turnbuckle. 
after a slow-motion slingshot sends Flair into the corner. Yeah, that did not work. Shawn Michaels, this was not. No. Uh, we get an outside in suplex by Sting for a two-count. He gets four punches in the corner, and then Flair misses an atomic drop. Sting clotheslines him, goes to the top rope for a superplex, and Sting hits the big top rope superplex on Flair. He goes back to the top rope and misses a splash off the top. I was disappointed that we did not get the patented Ric Flair screaming about his back after he uh, landed on this huge superplex. But I guess they had to go straight to the splash. As he said, Sting misses the splash. Uh, Flair's up. He's still screaming in pain now, holding his back. Uh, Goes for a vertical suplex, but Sting immediately pops up from that. He runs wild, dropkick, press slam, clotheslines Flair over the top to the floor. Sting goes for a Pescado over the top to the floor, and this is where Flair pulls Sherry into the line of fire, and Sting just crushes her on the floor. This was terrifying. You talked earlier on the show about how scary and and just horrible that bump that Mick Foley took, the Cactus Jack took, into the guardrail. This, I would argue, was worse because... Sherry takes the full weight of Sting flying over the top rope onto her, and she gets crushed. The back of her head hits the bottom part of the bar, the iron bar of the guardrail. She had to have been concussed. This was this was awful. Flair from behind pulls Sting back in the ring. Sting gets a backslide for a two count. Sting's checking on Sherry as Flair's able to come up behind, rolls him up, hooks the tights, Gets the pin. Ric Flair is your unified world champion to the surprise of no one. That whole sequence that you said, that that unfolded very quickly. Like it felt like they just, they were told, all right, you got to go to the finish. And they did it right away. Uh, We should mention though, Sting on that backslide, the ref was late getting there uh, based on what had happened with Sherry. And so uh, Sting kind of had a bit of a visual pin on Flair. I guess they figured that would help him save face here, but but yeah, Ric Flair wins, like you said, to the surprise of no one. Uh, he is the world heavyweight champion, and uh, and he will now go on to wrestle Hulk Hogan at Bash at the Beach. But there's more before we get there uh, as the show closes out. Has he raised his hand yet? There it is. Yes! Yes! The unified, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, the Nature Boy! Incredible. What a battle. What a fight. Unfortunate and Sherry. Surprised she could even stand. Flair has both belts, hugs Sherry, and then Flair chop blocks Sting, and Sherry in a gown starts coming off the top with two splashes onto Sting. They're both attacking Sting until Hulk Hogan's music hits, and he hits the ring. Hulk Hogan's theme song in WCW, horrible. What a horrible song. American Made, this is a terrible song. American Made, it's just the guy. It doesn't work. The only thing it makes you think is this guy is old. Like, that's, it does not, it does not do anything to counteract all the feelings that WCW fans would have had uh, when he was coming in. Um, he also it was funny to see him run down the aisle. Like he ran down next to the ramp, next to the ramp. He didn't the take ramp. the ramp. What? Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm guessing because it's Hulk Hogan, even in 1994, he was, you know, 
he was starting to be a bit hobbled and my if i had to guess he probably thought i might fall and i'd rather <laughs> fall next to the ramp than on the ramp in front of everybody and then maybe go tumbling off but it it looks strange here um he tears the shirt he goes for the big boot but flair bails out jimmy hart wants hogan to hit sherry but sherry slaps hogan and flair pulls sherry away to safety as they both retreat 17 minutes 17 seconds we go to a commercial after the commercial hulk hogan cuts another promo he's got his sights Set on Ric Flair, he this challenges was, Flair officially for the title at Bash at the Beach. This promo was kind of hard to understand because if you didn't know and you listened to it, you would think he was challenging Ric Flair for this coming weekend's TV. Um, he says, uh, but I guess basically the idea was that at the TV that weekend, he would have a contract in hand. Ted Turner would be there and they would sign the deal. Uh, Hogan then says, we need to find out who the real world champion is. Isn't that what I just spent the last 17 <laughs> minutes and 26 seconds finding out? Isn't that what we we just we're, we're told that this will determine the one true world heavyweight champion, but I guess not. Yeah, they were really pushing the fact that there was going to be a contract signing. It was going to be official. Flair was going to, and Hogan were going to have a confrontation, and Ted Turner was going to be there. He never showed up on WCW yes, TV. Very rarely. He was going to be there to, to, to make it happen. And uh, that happened on a, on uh, the Saturday night program, and terrible ratings. Did not do well Yikes. at all, and was a, a major disappointment. Um, so was uh, so so this was the show. Um, yeah. <laughs> not the best clash of the champions we've ever seen. Not the worst that no. ever held either. But there was no real like. I feel like most clash of the champions, you had a match that you could really hang your hat on and say that was awesome. And I think in normal times, it would have obviously been Singh versus Ric Flair, and it was fine. But there was so much surrounding it, uh, whether it be the angle that you knew was coming at the end with Sherry turning on Singh or the promo that we talked about earlier that really undercut the, the fact that Singh would have any chance of winning this match. Um, so that that took it down a notch for me. But, I mean, it was it's a perfectly fine way to spend an hour and a half, I guess. Yeah, it's totally fine. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed, I enjoyed Cactus Jack. I enjoyed... Uh, uh, Steve Regal have, pulling a good match out of Larry Zabisco. <laughs> yes, um, it, the prime U- athletic, stunning Steve Austin. Stunning uh, Steve Austin was awesome. I, I wish we had a better finish. Happy. And uh, yeah, and then the the Sting and Flair are never gonna never gonna steer you wrong. So yeah, it was totally fine. Uh, super predictable setup. To I mean, this is this you know in the days of Nitro, this would have been a low you know pretty good nitro <laughs> yeah yeah no that's a really good way of putting it this would have been uh this would have been a nitro episode and and sort of all that entails uh to me i would say the worst thing on this show i don't know to me it might have been babyface kevin sullivan like just because <laughs> that his was offense bad. was so bad like not that i was expecting anything great out of kevin sullivan but every time like there was something to do he would just Irish whip a guy and then run at him and hit one punch. And then he just, he had no interest in selling anything in that match at all. I think the, the guardian angel gimmick oh. is the worst thing I've seen. Yeah. No, you're right. That's I had already blocked that out of my mind. That, <laughs> this the was guardian horrible. Angel video package. Yes. Was definitely the worst thing on the show. To me, it's, it's indisputable that the best thing on this show is Johnny B. Bad missing the top rope sunset. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I knew that was going to be a, a highlight for you. Um, 
you know, I thought, uh, yes, uh, getting to see stunning Steve Austin uh, do his thing uh, with with Johnny B. Bad was was good. Um, yes. But you know, I think you know Sting and Flair, they were. They just, you know, that's it's peanut butter and jelly. It's just it's stuff that goes together. It's uh, chocolate and peanut butter here. It's 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 good stuff. And uh, comfort food pro wrestling. If you're a fan of uh, of this vintage and of WCW, and while it wasn't exactly what you would have hoped for, it was still Sing versus Flair. Yeah. So it's still it's totally fine. It's good. Uh, just it felt like there were no stakes, even though they were trying to tell me it's yeah. the most stakes. <laughs> yes, uh, that's never it's never good when something is supposed to be the highest stakes match in the history of the company, but you've actively done two things on the program that, that, that tell that me Sting can't possibly win this yeah. match. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, with all that though, it was still better than that uh, endless triangle match between. Oh Sting God. Yes, Flair and Luger, Luger. at yeah. Starrcade '95 that we reviewed earlier on in season three of this podcast. Yeah, no, uh, I think yeah. So, so yeah, or that match might have been in the uh, that's in the, in the bonus. bonus content, yes, yeah. uh, that was a, a Patreon exclusive. So, um, yeah, we've mentioned throughout the show that we've got a Patreon. We've got bonus content every single week. More, we, more than fifty episodes, if you're listening in linear fashion, are up there right now. That's right. We've so we do two episodes a week, one on the free feed, one on the bonus content. They're totally different shows. And so you can get 50 plus episodes of this podcast right now. If you went to patreon.com slash wrestling at random, sign up for the $5 tier. It unlocks everything. Or if you're in your Apple podcast feed, you're like, dude, I do not do Patreon. If you're in the Apple podcast feed, there's a button. You click subscribe and, uh, and, and you pay your, your, your money right there. It unlocks every single episode that's marked bonus in the back catalog here for you. 50 plus episodes all the way back to uh, uh, the, uh, the earlier matches uh, that we were talking about early on with uh, uh, Naked Midian during the Steve Regal and, and Samoa Joe's the second bonus episode we've ever done. That's all out there. Everything unlocks. Tons of episodes, tons of hours. Uh, and, and if this is behind a different paywall, then, uh, yeah, you subscribe. You unlock every single episode. It's waiting for you. Now, is, there's never been a better time to subscribe than right now because there's so many hours of bonus content. And when we take a break uh, from, the, from the free feed, the bonus content keeps on coming. So make sure you uh, subscribe there if you can't support the show financially by uh, by subscribing to the bonus content. You can always support the show by telling your wrestling fan friends about us. You can, uh, you know, wrestling fans, no wrestling fans, tell them about us and, and see if, uh, you know, even if it's your friend that used to be a wrestling fan, but isn't anymore, they might want to take a trip down memory lane with us as well. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully they won't turn on you predictably like Sherry did on sting. Um, or maybe they already did. And in that case, I guess, as we always say, this podcast can bring you back together. I believe in the power of wrestling at random. The best way to interact with the show is at wrestle at random on Twitter or Instagram, facebook.com slash wrestling at random as well. Uh, we also have a YouTube. The, uh, the, the audio version of this podcast is available to listen to on YouTube as well. Uh, youtube.com slash wrestling at random podcast. And all of those links, uh, everything I described, the entire back catalog of this podcast, if you're a new listener to this podcast, you have 
hours and hours and hours of free content waiting for you. It's evergreen. It's new to you like it just came out this week. So go ahead, dig into the back catalog of season three, where it's just a free-for-all, season two, where it's weekly television, and season one, where it's big events. So the whole back catalog is there waiting for you, wrestlingatrandom.com. And with that, we're going to call it a podcast. Adam, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy. I am always happy to get a Clash of the Champions, but I'd be even more happy to get a pre-Hogan era next time. I want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.